Well, as they're going out, you can be opening your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, this month, we'll be uh, preaching what I would call topically, which means uh, we'll just take a little bit different subject matter each week and, uh, and, and talk about it. Um, if you were like me and grew up in church, uh, you know, the birth of Christ, Christmas, that has been a part of my life since as, as long as I can uh, have a memory at all uh, and, and, and to, and to uh, celebrate Christmas. And I think one of the dangers uh, of, of, of that, and I hate to even say it that way because it shouldn't be. If, if we are raised in a Christian home that loves God, loves the Bible, but, you know, we're born to imperfect parents and then we are our imperfect parents, Right. Because, you know, you can't make perfect out of imperfect. That's just the way it works. So that's why we each one have to come to faith in Christ. Because only he can make us complete or perfect. Only he can transform our minds. Only he can change who we are, right? Amen? Uh, listen, I hope you can say amen today uh, 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 as we look at this. And, and, and I'm calling this, if you want to call it a series, it's all about Christ. And and. And, and I'm sure that you, you understand that uh, there, there's been, you know, put Christ in Christmas and we, we come up with all these, or keep Christ in Christmas, we come up with these phrases. And of course, they're accurate. Christmas means, actually the MAS on the end comes from Roman Catholic, the Christ Mass. It is, it, we're thinking about who Jesus is and what he did uh, for us. And so, um, in, in many ways, we've let the world take over Christmas and Easter uh, from us, and, and that shouldn't be. But, but I, I started to say, growing up in church, and, and just being so familiar with it, it becomes, and pardon what I'm about to say, but it almost becomes like a, a fairy tale. It, it almost just becomes a story, a fable. Like, oh yeah, it was so wonderful as a baby born. And the Bible gives us the details. I mean, there's nothing wrong with knowing all the details about the shepherds and the wise men and all the things that happened because, but God has wanted us to see something else. And I appreciate Pastor Andy reading Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 this morning because the point of it all was that God wanted to speak to us by his son. In those verses, and it might even been in a song, we, he spoke to us by prophets before. And, and I want you to understand something about the word prophet because there are prophets in the New Testament, there are prophets in the Old Testament, but they operate in a little bit different ways. In the Old Testament, the prophet heard directly from God and then wrote it down. All right? The apostles, in a sense, were like that. They were like prophets. They heard, learned from Jesus. And then now that the Holy Spirit lived inside them, Jesus promised he'll remind you of what I said. He'll explain it to you so you'll understand it. And so they wrote down the record of Christ and what it all meant. You with me? So they got it directly from God and wrote it down. A prophet today doesn't operate that way. A prophet today operates with the word here. God speaks to us through his word and then we spread it to everyone else. Okay? So the word prophet doesn't mean to be able to tell the future, to hear, necessarily hear things out of the ether. It, it, a prophet is someone who proclaims forth, who tells forth God's word. And so a New Testament prophet applies that truth to, to, a, to a situation. There, there are a lot of people out there today. It's become a common a common phrase, and, and I try to be careful how I say it when I feel like God's impressed something on me. Say, well, the, well, the Lord told me. Well, if, if you're hearing a voice, and it's God, and he's telling you something, then there's only one two, of two things that are true about that. Either 
if it's, if it's not in, uh, if it's in the word, it was unnecessary. And if it's not in the scripture, it's heresy. God speaks to us through his word. And so that Hebrews passage, that's why I love it so much. God spoke to us through his son. And I had to turn to Ephesians. I, I didn't even have this in my outline. Lord, uh, here I go. Lord laid it on my heart. Uh, uh, he didn't speak. I didn't hear audible voices much louder than that. Uh, in, in chapter 1 and verse 9 of Ephesians, here's what the Bible says. And this is Paul writing as the human author. And he's talking about the salvation and what God did through, through Christ. And we come to verse 9, the middle of a sentence. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite Catch this, all things in him, things in heaven, and things on earth. That's a theme in Ephesians. You can read many more verses about it in that book. But in other words, God was bringing everything that he wanted to bring into his will, into his will through Christ. And Christ established the church. Later on in Ephesians, it says, uh, God has done this for, in the church. That, that out of all the peoples of the world, all races, all cultures, all time, out of all of that, he's made one people, and we call them Christians. We call them the elect. We call them the church. Amen? And so, the title of this sermon is The Need for Christ. We need Christ. That's my long term. I shortened it down to the need. There is a need for Jesus in our life, right? Right? Why is that? Well, you know why. I'll, I'll explain it in detail later. But without him, we're nothing. Without him, we're lost. Without him, we, we, have, we have no access to God whatsoever. But in him, we have everything God wants to give us. And it's, it's that black and white. It's not a little bit here and a little bit there. You're either, you're either outside of Christ, outside of God, because you're outside of Christ. You're outside of any of his promises you have no right to anything or you're in Christ and you have the opportunity to access everything that God wants to give you. And we have a great need because we're born over here outside of Christ. And no one is born a Christian. That is something that God does in us and can happen to us and as we accept his grace. But once we do, we become his children. We become a son of God or a Daughter of God, if you, want to, if you want to say it that way. But children in the general sense, we become a child of God. And everything that God has, we access through the person of Christ because of his death, burial, and resurrection, right? So I say all that, so this, this thing I want you to take home with you will make sense. Because here's what it is, if you'll put it up there. Jesus did not come to establish a religion. He came to win a war. We, we, we did that. I love O Come, O Come, Emmanuel, man. I, I, I just li I like that, that, that type of music has a certain title to it. Uh, you'd have to ask Pastor Andy just because I don't want to make a mistake trying to say it in front of him. But, uh, but it almost sounds like a Gregorian chant, and he told me it was based on that. that and I, I kind of like that, that thing. And, I, and I, as we were singing this morning, I got it that we were singing these phrases, and they started to work in our heart and our soul that... That he came to win the war against our enemy. Because we are in a war. 
And when I, what I said about this almost becomes like a fairy tale, a fable. We forget that, that this isn't just a nice thing we do. We're literally in a war. Because when you come into Christ, that's not so you get gumdrops and rainbows. He is enlisting you into his army to be a part of that war. And the war is for the souls of men of all time and eternity and, he call, and in every nation. And he calls us to be with him in that war. And at Christmas, we're reminded that he came, that he put on flesh and dwelt among us. Well, let me get into the reason. If you want to look over with me in Genesis 3, we see, first of all, the need of man, that man was the first casualty in this war. You know the story. There's no, there's no devil in chapter 1 and 2 of Genesis. There's no devil in the last two chapters, 21 and 22 of Revelation. The Bible begins and ends with no devil. Amen. Uh, that's, that's a wonderful thing. But in Genesis 3, man becomes the first casualty in this war. And, and I'm going to read verse 1 and then verses 4 through 7. Later on, I'm going to come back and read the verses I skipped. But right now, listen to this. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And that word serpent, uh, in, in other places, the devil's called a, a dragon. And uh, in fact, in Revelation, we're going to look at in a minute, he is the great, he's the ancient dragon. He, and, and so that was the sense of that. If you ever wondered why he said you'll crawl in the, on your belly, because this creature is probably not a snake like you think of one. It's a representation of Satan, and he's called the dragon. And, it's, and it says that the serpent said to the woman, and we know it was Satan, did God actually say you should not eat of the tree of the garden? But the serpent said to the woman, uh, you shall not surely die. And I've skipped a bunch of verses. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, and the tree was to be desired to make one wise. And these are the three big categories of sin Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. She saw it, lust of the eyes. She saw that it was a delight to the eyes. She saw that it was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it would make you wise, the pride of life. You can be as smart as God. I'm going to read you some verses later that that was the original sin of Satan, and now he's brought it to mankind. She took of the fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. That's Genesis 3, verse 1, chapter 3, and verse 1, and verses 4 through 7. I want you to notice something in here. Uh, not only that... that the, the idea, this is how all of us sin. This is the same temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. The, the lust of the flesh. Oh, you're hungry, 40 days fasting. We'll turn the stone to bread. The, the lust of the eyes, behold the nations of the world. The pride of life, jump off the temple. And when God floats you down so you don't get hurt, everybody will know and they'll worship you that way. And Jesus resisted all three temptations. As Adam fell in all three, Jesus won the fight in all three. I'll show you that in Romans 5 in just a minute as well. But here they, they ate it. I always wondered, why did Adam eat it? Because number one, he's standing there listening. In this context, it seems like Eve's talking to this snake, serpent, whatever. And he's listening in and he doesn't say, 
hold on there. You didn't say that right. You didn't say that right. We're not eating it. Don't, be, don't mess with this, Eve. But obviously, he's kind of tempted too. And I think he's a, a little bit cowardly. I mean, our deer hunters know how this works, right? The mama deer send out the baby into the field. Nobody attacked them. And then the mama comes out. And the buck's back there going, well, nobody beat on the babies. Nobody hurt the doe. Might be okay for me to step out. And I think Adam looked at her and, well, well, you didn't die, did you? <laughs> and he ate it because they, he couldn't see that that immediate judgment was a, not just you will be struck dead, but you will die spiritually and you will eventually die physically. Because he didn't create us to die. That's the fallen condition we're in, but it's the gift of God. For if you could not die, you could never be saved. Man would have lived forever in sin. But because he gave us the gift of death... Christ could come and live that perfect life and die in our place so that we can live forevermore. Amen? All right, well, so we had a great need. Man's the first casualty in that, in that war. Uh, in Isaiah 14, let me show you what it says about Satan. Satan declared war on God, Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O day star, son of dawn. How you are cut down to the ground, you who laid the nations low. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven above the stars of God. I will set my throne on high. I will sit in the mount of assembly in the far reaches of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will make myself like the most high. This is the pride in Satan's life. But God says, but you're brought down to Sheol or to hell, to the far reaches of the pit. Those who see you will stare at you and ponder over you. Is this the one who made the earth tremble, who took kingdoms, who shook kingdoms, who made the world like a desert and overthrew its cities, who did not let his prisoners go home? God will have the final victory. But Satan has that desire to be like God. And let me just tell you something. I, I don't know the exact years of this story in Genesis, but it's about... 10, 12,000 years ago, somewhere in there. That's a long time, isn't it? I don't know how anybody can be an evolutionist. I can't even imagine 10,000 years, much less a million or a billion. That's beyond my, my scope of my, my little pea brain. But, but I want you to understand something. When Satan first rebelled against God, it was that he wanted to be smarter and better than God. He comes to Adam and Eve and he offers them the same thing. Do you understand that Satan is offering the same thing today? And we are seeing an upsurge of this, of this temptation in our culture. We're seeing people who are now saying, oh, but if you do this or if you do that, you, you become enlightened, you'll know more, you'll know better. Well, the Bible tells us, I read Ephesians 1, the mystery has now been opened. Here's the mystery, that God would come and in Christ, in the body, uh, that, that Jesus would put on a body and in himself for taking on our sin and dying on the cross, he would make everybody into one people. That's the mystery. That's the thing that, that we need to know. All the rest, is there more to know? Absolutely. If you think everything there is to know, we know, you're not paying attention. Because the, the things that you can know is, is accelerating at an unbelievable speed. You see, Satan deceived Eve, but Adam sinned willfully. I already read verse 1. I read uh, uh, verses 4 through 5 and 6 and 7. Let, let me 
share with you in Genesis chapter 3, verses 2 and 3. And the woman said to the serpent, when Satan said, did God say this? She said, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree of life that's in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. I'm sure you've heard this. I'm sure you've heard what was Eve's mistake. She misquoted God, right? God said, don't eat it. He didn't say, don't touch it. But touching it gets you a little closer to eating it, right? You, you tell a kid, uh, don't touch that. He'll look at you and go, yeah. right? Well, <laughs> Adam and Eve, that's the same thing. But I want to point something out to you today. The Bible says that Eve was deceived, that Satan fooled her, Satan tricked her. He, he caused her to believe something that wasn't so. Adam knew better, it says, but Adam sinned willfully. Adam knew what he was doing, and he shouldn't have done it. But I want to take a lesson from Eve. Why was Satan able to deceive Eve? Because she did not accurately know the word of God. I know we got a lot more to learn, don't we? Because we got all of this. She had one thing. You had one thing to do. <laughs> Don't eat that. And she did it, right? But she misquoted God's word. I see so many people in error and are lost. They say, well, the Bible says, and they'll misquote something. Or they'll take it out of context. You've got to know the word if you're going to resist Satan. How did Jesus resist Satan in the wilderness after 40 days of fasting? By quoting scripture accurate to him. Satan's quoting scriptures at Jesus. Jesus said, yeah, but you took that out of context. Here's the truth. And he would lay it back at Satan. And that's how he overcame. How do you overcome sin? Psalm 119. How shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to your word. The way we cleanse our way is to follow God's path, to follow God's way. And Satan declared war on God, but he took it out on us. Why did he declare war on God? Why did he come after us? Because we don't know, we don't know very much, okay? And, and, and we can guess at some of it, and there's other things that mm, we may can accept. But I can safely tell you this. Pretty sure God made the angels and whatever other creatures and beings that he made. Because there's more than just angels. There's a lot of things that he made. We see that in scripture. Before man came along. And that man is sort of like the little brother. And Satan wants to ruin. He's already ruined some angels. We find in Genesis 6 that some have fallen. We, we see those kind of angels mentioned in, throughout the book of Daniel in at least three places. And, and, and in, I'll come to that text in just a minute, the text in Genesis. And, and Satan has fallen and God has sealed his doom. He cannot repent. God offers no salvation to a fallen angel, to a demon, to, to, to Satan. There's no redemption. And he says, if I can ruin God's new creation, then I'll get them too. And yet, here's what happens. Satan's doom is promised in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. God comes into the garden. You remember what God said when he came in the garden? Every day God would come and walk with Adam and Eve. Can you imagine that? God himself comes down. 
I, I believe that's the person of Jesus. I believe anytime you see God visibly in the Old Testament, it has to be the person of Christ. He is the express image of God. We just read it in Hebrews chapter 1. He is the one that always shows us what God is like. I believe he's the pillar. I believe he's the fire. He's the rock that gives us water in the wilderness. He is all those physical signs. It is all in Christ. But, but imagine that, that every day after supper, you get to go on a walk with Jesus. That's pretty awesome. Now, you, when, when you mess up in that situation, you realize it ain't God's fault, it's your fault, right? We want to blame God for all the evil. The evil is caused by Satan and the wickedness of the hearts of men. Not by God. God came to save us, to redeem us, to fix us. But Satan's doom is promised. Here's what Jesus, or, or what God tells Satan in, in Genesis 3, 14 and 15. The Lord God said to the serpent, because you've done this, cursed are you above all livestock, above all beasts. I, I, I think whatever that animal was, it had allowed Satan to use him. And on your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head. And you shall bruise his heel. There's a war now. God says to Satan in the garden, we're going we're gonna to duke this one out. And I'm going to redeem these people. There's a promise when he said about the woman, the King James says, her seed. Which is a reference to the one half of what it takes to make a baby. And only time a woman ever carried seed was Mary. And she gave birth to the Messiah, right? Here's a promise, and then God tells the devil, and he's going to crush you. He's going to bruise your head. He's going to win the war. No wonder Satan tried to kill Christ even before he was born and all through his life, but Jesus would not die until his appointed moment. You see, Satan's rebellion targeted all of God's creation. If you just flip a few pages to Genesis 6, you can read in verses 1 through 4. And when man began to multiply on the face of the, of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God, and this is the sons of Elohim is what it says. These are some kind of angelic being. Saw that his daughters, the daughters of man were attractive, and they took his wives any they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days will be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days. And also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of man, and they bore children to them, these were the mighty men who were of old, the men of renown. There's some mixed breed thing. And what Satan is doing, he's polluting the human line. Because Jesus is going to come as a man. So that he could die for men. If he didn't become a man, he couldn't die for us. That's why I say Jesus did everything he did as a man, spirit-filled. The power of the spirit flows through him. We find that's why it was so important. If you remember preaching through Genesis, the line of Seth is the line that Jesus came through. And God carefully gave the lineage so that we would know that those that were in that line were fully human. And it got so bad after whatever this is in Genesis 6, we don't know very much, but we know it got so bad, God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to destroy all flesh and start over with Noah, who's in the line of Seth. And that's what he does. He does it by a flood. Satan polluted mankind. 
and, and messed us up. But God starts over with Noah. And, and just the next verse in chapter um, 6 says this. The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Did you catch that? That men, the thoughts of his heart was only evil and it was continuous. They never thought anything that wasn't evil. And the Lord regretted he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. The Lord said, I'll blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heaven, for I'm sorry I made them, but Noah found favor in the eyes of God. Noah was still a righteous man, a pure man. It got so bad in there, if you, if you read it in other places in these first few chapters of Genesis, it was in the days of Enoch the men began to call on God. Because they said, man, this is getting bad. And there were some men that still believed their grandfather Adam when he told them about God. And they began to call out to that God to save them. And God starts over with Noah. You see, Jesus had to become man to provide forgiveness and salvation and victory over Satan. God gives us victory over Satan, the one who wants to destroy us, the one who wants to kill us, the one who wants to confuse us. He wants to give us victory. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 15. How shall we overcome? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Adam brought sin to us, but Jesus brings forgiveness and eternal life. Look with me in Romans 5. The book of Romans chapter 5. It's a great chapter. It's one you ought to read over and over and study. I recommend memorizing that chapter. I did it at one point in my life. I don't know if I could do it now, but... Probably wouldn't take much to get back to it. But, but listen to what Romans uh, chapter 5 says in verses 12 to 14. The Bible says here, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, who's that man? Adam. And death through sin, so death spread to all men because all sin. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Adam sinned before God gave the law of the Ten Commandments. But sin is not counted where there's no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So we still died even though we didn't have the complete law of God. Even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. Who was the type of the one who was to come. God, Jesus had to come because we were dying in our sin. and, And we had to be saved. But if Jesus had not been man... He could not have died for us. In the Gospel of John, in chapter 1, in the very first verse, we read, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Let me pause a second to ask this question, which I'm sure you know the answer to. What is a word? A word is a a set of letters put together that has a meaning when put together the right way. Right? But what does a word do? A word expresses a thought. You cannot know what I'm thinking unless I speak. In fact, we've even come up with a phrase to get somebody to tell you. Penny for your thoughts. Right? Because you don't know what they're thinking. You, can't tell, you, you think you can tell by expressing your fa- on their faith, face, but you may not. Their face may not be reflecting what they're thinking. The word has to express what is unseen. Jesus is the word. God is unseen. And Jesus came to express who God is to us. So we could understand and know God. You following me? 
We see in chapter 1 of, of the Gospel of John, he goes on to say in verses 9 through 13, He is the light who gives light to everyone was coming into the world, the true light. He was in the world. The world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But all those who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glories of the only Son from the Father, Full of grace and truth. Jesus came to show us God, but he came in a body, came in human form so that we could see God and know God. And as a human, he lived a sinless life so that he could die in our place. He came, uh, he saved us to remake us. We made Christianity a human improvement project. I mean, most people think the Bible ought to be in the self-improvement section of the library or the bookstore or on your Kindle app or whatever. That, that the Bible's here to make us better human beings. No, the Bible's here to say what we were in Adam needs to die and you need to be raised into a new life in Christ. God came to make us new people in the same skin. That's exciting. That he can put to death the things that are in me. And then he commands me to put to death stuff that's left over. The, because we still live in a fallen body. We're to put to death, uh, uh, to death other things. But here, the exciting part is he did that so that we could start to look like Jesus. Do you understand that when you become a Christian, it's not just fire insurance. Like I said, we, we've kind of simplified this stuff too much. We've made it like, well, you just pray this prayer and then you don't go to hell. And uh, just, you know, hang on until you die and, and just trust that that prayer is going to get you into heaven. But the Bible says that God's doing a work in us. It says in Philippians, he that began a good work in us will complete it till the day of Jesus Christ. What is that good work? 2 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 18. And here's what uh, God says there. And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. We are to be gazing on Christ. Remember we talked about when we were in the Beatitudes on purity, uh, those who are pure in heart. And we define pure as having no mixture of anything else. Now, I don't know about you, but I know in my life there are things that compete with God's, for God's attention, for my attention for God. There are things that are in competition with God. Satan does not want me to think about God. Satan does not want me to concentrate on God. Satan does not want me to follow God and God alone. He wants me to get distracted and, and pulled off of that. He wants me to go other places. But the Bible says that we are being changed into the image of Christ as we gaze into his likeness, as we, as we look on him. He, he's, he, he came to remake us and put us in that war. You can't go to war spiritually as a human. Satan's too tough. Listen, I don't even know the name of fighters today. I used to know. I used to could have named one. But, but, but I don't care how old he got. I don't want to get in a fight with Mike Tyson. I mean, you know, there's going to be two hits. He'll hit me, I'll hit the floor. That'll be it, right? <laughs> I'll be done. 
Why do you think you can get off the stool and go to war with Satan? Because you prayed a little prayer when you were a kid. Friend, you better be following Christ. You better be being changed into his image because he has enlisted us in this fight. I listened to, to, to our military talk about the transformation that happens. They come in as these kids and in just very short time, they're transformed into, into a human fighting machine. They're made able to wage war against any enemy of our nation. God did not save you so you could sit in church. He saved you so you could go into and try to take the message of salvation to the world. And you got, you got to go to boot camp. You got to get in the word. You got to know what God is trying to say to us. He's spoken to us in these last days by a son who is the word. Who says and exposes the unseen God to us so that we can know him. We can have a relationship with him. And he can change our lives. Because where are we headed? We're headed to Revelation 1.18. Listen to what it says. I uh, and the living one, I died and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and hell. Revelations 1, uh, 3, 7 says, And to the angel of the church of Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the keys of David, who opens up and no one shuts, and who shuts and no one's open. Did you hear in those two verses? He has the keys of death and hell, and he has the keys of David. The keys of David is symbolizing his, his kingship, that he's in the line of David. He is the king of all the saints of all time and he has that kingly right he has the key of that kingdom but when he died and rose again he defeated hell and now he has the keys of death and hell and he is the one that can open the way of life to us those of us who were dead and and time does not permit but I'm going to do it anyway if my wife was here she'd be going don't okay because it's a long passage, and when I start reading, you kind of check out. So turn in your Bible to Revelation 20. I want you to see this. This is the last chapter before we don't see Satan anymore. This is the, 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 the last thing, the last battle, if you will. That's my favorite book in the Chronicles of Narnia, The Last Battle. Woo, it's good stuff. I know it's fiction, but he, he does a good job there. And please follow along and listen as I read. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, holding in his hand the key to the bottomless pit. wonder where he got the key. Lord said, hey, take this. Go down there. And a great chain. And he sees the dragon, the ancient serpent, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. And threw him into the pit and shut it and sealed it over him. So he might not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were ended. After that he must be released for a little while. I don't know why God does this. I'm just telling you what he said he's going to do. And then I saw thrones and seated on them were those to whom the authority to judge was committed. Also I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for the testimony of Jesus and for the word of God and those who had not worshipped the beast or its image and had not received its mark on their foreheads or their hands, they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. Friend, you don't get there if you didn't go to the war. They don't make generals out of citizens. They make generals out of privates. Right? You got to enlist before you can get to be the general. And too many of us, we said, I, I like what you guys do. Can I sit here and watch? Instead of getting involved in the war. 
lost my place. Verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were ended. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is the one who shares in the first resurrection. Over such, the second death has no power, but they will be uh, priests of God and of Christ, and they will reign with him for a thousand years. And then he tells us what he's going to do. And when the thousand years are ended, Satan will be released from his prison and will come out to deceive the nations that are at the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them for battle. Their numbers like the sand of the sea. And they marched up over the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city. But fire came down from heaven and consumed them. And the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were. And they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. Now we come to the really good part. Then I saw a great white throne and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. I say it's good, but it's not good if you're not saved. I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The dead are not ever the saved. Standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books, according to what they had done. If you are dependent on what you have done to get you into heaven, hear the word of God. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and hell gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and hell were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Friend, we're in a war, and you just heard the conclusion of that war. It's at the end of a thousand-year reign of Christ on this earth. Can't wait to see that one. And there are going to be those sitting with him on thrones, judging the world. So I, I got a couple of questions for you to take home with you today. Have you repented because you were a sinner and turned to Jesus Christ who is the only Savior? That's the need. That's why he came. The need of man is a Savior, and Jesus is that Savior. And he came to wage war on our enemy, and that war continues today. Because Satan is not dead, he seeks to kill and destroy and devour Everybody can. And so the second thing I want to ask you is, are you engaged in spiritual warfare? Are you just hoping? Are you taking a stand with Christ against our enemy? Jesus said, nobody can go into a strong man's house and and steal unless first you bind the strong man. Friend, we, we want a witness to Stanton. We got to bind the strong man. We want a witness to the world. We got to bind the strong man before we go. That's the command. But if we are not prepared for battle, you're just going to walk in the ring and get knocked out. God's called us to be warriors for Christ. And it doesn't look like we don't put on armor and go pull out guns and go shoot people. No, we carry the good news of the gospel and we turn enemies into brothers and sisters. We turn, we don't, but God turns the lost into the saved. But he does it by our testimony and our witness. So what are you concerned about today? What is heaviest on your heart? What is the biggest deal when you walk in church? Is it to worship him? Is it to glorify him? Is it to know him? Do you go out of here going, man, I can't wait to read some more of that scripture pastor was talking about today. I want to see what else God has to say. And you go on a search in scripture, are you just like, Well, that was nice. Is the soup done yet? Friend, we got to take this seriously. I'm not saying we got to go eat. I get it. 
But we got to start taking this seriously. We got to start understanding what Christmas is really all about. It's not just a cute story about a pregnant lady and her husband making a hard trip to a crowded place and him being born in a manger and angels singing and all that's great. But God points all that out to let us know there he is. That's the one. And he is going to conquer death and hell. And eventually, all eyes will see and all men will understand. He is the chosen Messiah of, of God. For he is God. And he put on a body and lived with us so that we could know him. 